You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Tickets and all of that um, to City Fest. You've probably been seeing them uh, throughout the city as you you drive around. Um, So this is uh, sort of the kickoff Sunday um, for a lot of things that are going to be coming. Um, Every week we're going to have prayer walking uh, at different venues um, uh, up until the event. I think it's going to be on Thursday night. Uh, I think I told you uh, last week that um, the prayer was going to be last Thursday night. It's actually this Thursday night is the City Fest prayer at First Baptist. happens to be at the same time that the um, uh, gold event is going to be going on at the square. So it's 6.30 and it's at First Baptist. Might be able to come over there after that or something like that but um, and then every every Thursday after that we're going to be doing prayer walking at different places we'll give you more information on that so before you go today take a take a yard sign put it out um, just let everybody know that we're um, uh, a part of what God is doing in the city and uh, might be a good conversation starter for you uh, with your neighbors And another thing uh, that I wanted to um, just remind you of, when we first started talking about City Fest, um, we talked about identifying five people that we wanted to pray for. And this, you might remember this, this was back uh, October, September, October of last year. And we did it on a fairly regular basis. Um, And I just want to remind you of that today. Um, let's just stop for just a second and maybe you know the five because I, I was hearing testimonies like right off the bat of people that were having breakthroughs that had been uh, we had been praying for different people had been praying for and uh, we saw God move um, just stop for a second and, and identify five people um, that are in your life that you know need the Lord or need to walk closer with the Lord um, somebody that's just on your heart will you just pause for a second and, and do that Thank you, Lord. And now let's just pray for those five. Just mention them by name to the Lord. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray uh, in the quietness of your own heart. Let's just lift them up to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we don't, we don't know all the ways that you work. We, we know that you are super mysterious sometimes. And the way that you do things, Lord, sometimes when we see uh, your hand, we're just amazed uh, at the things that you do, Lord. So we come to you today in confidence, knowing that if we ask something good from you, that you're going to do something good. And so we lift these five people up. So there's a lot more than that on all of our prayer list, Lord, but we're remembering them before you today and we're mentioning them uh, to you today and we pray that you would move in their life, Lord. Just move in their life, Lord. Draw them to yourself, Lord Jesus. Open the eyes of their heart that they might behold you and that they might see you and that they might know you, Lord. And even as we're praying for them, Lord, we're saying we want to be part of this too, Lord. We want to be part of your drawing them. So give us words to share with them, Lord, that are... um, that are uh, words that, that penetrate, words that, 
that get through, Lord, the fog. Words of life, words of hope that you give us to share with them, Lord. And we just thank you for it. And now one more thing, we're going to pray for City Fest, okay? So just let's just turn our attention to the Lord this morning in a really intense way and just lift up City Fest, this, this event, this um, opportunity, um, this, this blessing that God has given the city of Tyler and this region. Thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for everybody that's working, Lord, so hard and so diligently. I thank you for 350-plus churches, Lord, um, who have, uh, in big ways and small ways, become a part of this, Lord. And God, we don't just pray for this event, but we pray for a move of God in our city, Lord. Let Tyler be a place, Lord, where you are pleased to dwell. Lord, let your, your mercy and your justice and your, your goodness and your righteousness um, inhabit our city, Lord Jesus. Heal the deep wounds, Lord Jesus, that, have, that our, city has, uh, our people in our city have experienced, Lord. Um, I pray that you would raise your church up, Lord Jesus, to address the things in this city, Lord, that are not pleasing to you. The things, Lord, that cause suffering uh, in this city, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be a, a source of healing and a source of life, uh, Lord, to our city, to our neighborhoods, to our neighbors, Lord. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, and so one more thing. Uh, take your um, cell phone out. And uh, go to your text and text, I pray, the letter I, P-R-A-Y, one word, to 313131. You should get a response immediately. Get it? Everybody? Did you get a response, everybody? Good. Okay. Um, the reason why we're doing that this morning is because we have a thousand people signed up um, as prayer in the in the prayer ministry, and that may seem like a lot. That is a lot, but not when you're considering that there's 350 churches that are participating, and our region has well over a quarter of a million people. So a thousand was a very small amount. What you're doing right there is you're joining the prayer ministry and the prayer and you're identifying yourself um, to them. So we're doing that across all the churches this morning um, just to get more people uh, involved in the prayer movement that goes with it. Nothing happens without prayer. And well, there's a lot of activities going on, but there's nothing more important than the prayers that we're lifting up to the Lord. Um, and we're depending on him to, to move and to answer, okay? All right, so now the kids can go to children's ministry. Over the next um, few weeks, uh, a month, month and a half, um, we're going to be doing something a little bit different um, than we have done, uh, at least recently. Um, I've asked a, a, a team of, um, of guys to um, 
to begin to share the word. So it's going to be me. I'm going to be one of them. But uh, David Cook is going to be one of them. Caleb is one. And this morning we're going to hear from Jay um, Gaines. So we're going to we're going to expand on this whole uh, talking about the new covenant that I have been talking about for um, several weeks now. Um, and each one of them is going to take an aspect of the new covenant um, that, um, that, that they're going to share the word on. So um, Jay is, um, is, is one of our non-voting elders. He's an elder uh, here and uh, has been, how long have you guys been here? 15? Wow, that's hard to believe. Because Sarah was like, she was a baby. Or was she born after y'all came? No. Jacob was born just after y'all came. Yeah. So anyway, I just, I just love this brother so much. He's just so solid and so um, passionate about his relationship with the Lord. And he loves you guys so much um, too. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing. He's, he's shared here several times before, but I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing him share the word this morning. So let's give him a good welcome as he comes. Love you, bro. There we go. And I'm going to set myself a timer. Yeah. That's right. So that uh, it'll tell me when it's time to be quiet. Not that I'll listen to it, but at least I'll know that I've gone a little while. There we go. I'll be honest with you, it's a little awkward up here this morning. Uh, it has been a while since uh, I wore pants to church. <laughs> and so I'm not really sure what to do with myself. But uh, I felt like the occasion warranted that, so I'll be back to shorts next week, so nobody worry. Nothing crazy going on, okay? So, uh, so we've been talking about, Brother Joe's been talking, and I, I'm going to find, find our, uh, our uh, key scripture that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. La actually, the last couple of weeks, we've had some, some guests in, uh, Brother Carlton, was here I believe last week or two weeks ago and, and Alvin Anderson was here a couple of weeks ago so it's been just great to hear from different voices outside the body it's been really good to hear those guys uh, speak and so um, but our key our key verse has been in Jeremiah 31 and we're going to I'm just going to read it real quick it's verse 31 through 34 it says the time is coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah it will not be like the covenant I made with the forefathers when I took them out, uh, by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Isn't that good stuff, man? Man, God is good to us, folks. So this morning, we're going to look at uh, an aspect of the New Covenant uh, where Jesus talks about, he gives us two great commandments, and it's nothing new. We'll look at that here in a little bit, but it's, uh, you've probably heard this most of your life in, in, uh, in church. They're pretty important 
uh, sayings that Jesus gives us, two, two uh, really important commandments that he gives us, so we're going to kind of look at those a little bit. But I want to set the scene. We're going to look at Matthew 22. Did I bring my... I didn't, did I? Let me have that thing. To be honest with you, I'm not real sure how to use it, but we'll figure it out together. Um, maybe, maybe we won't. Oh, I was going the wrong way. So there we go. So when we're looking at Matthew chapter... 22, and I want to set the scene because this is, um, so we're in Passion Week, okay? So Jesus, uh, on, on Friday of the week that, that we're in here, this is about midweek, this, this uh, story that takes place uh, is about Wednesday. Friday, Jesus is going to be crucified. So Monday starts, uh, it, it starts off with the triumphal entry. So Jesus arrives, comes into the city as any king would on the back of a donkey, right? Um, he comes in, and he's heralded, and he's, I mean, thousands of people are there. And he is, his popularity has grown uh, tremendously. Uh, people just, I mean, who wouldn't, any sane person, right, who wouldn't love Jesus, man? I mean, the stuff that he's doing, he's, 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 he's taking care of people, he's healing people, he's raising people from the dead, he's feeding people, he's doing all this awesome stuff. So who wouldn't love him? And, and these folks have been hoping and waiting for a Messiah, and here, here's the guy that they think this could be the one. And so he comes in on the, uh, on the, uh, the triumphal entry. Then Tuesday, he goes into the temple for the second time and cleans house, man. He goes in, and, and, he, uh, uh, and I, I just want to say that, that he was really popular among everybody except for us, right? Except for the religious folks, the, the, the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They did not like Jesus at all. And one of the reasons why was because of what he did on Tuesday. He goes in, and he cleans out all the money changers. They're in there trying to—they're making a profit— off of their position. And so Jesus has spent his whole ministry basically challenging uh, their, their profitability, their, their economics. He's been challenging their, their theology, the way they apply the scripture. Uh, and, and now he's challenging their popularity. That, one of the things that they, that, they, that they loved about the position that they held was that people looked up to them. And so Jesus now comes along, and now they don't necessarily need these folks anymore. They've got a, the Messiah is here. What do we need him for? So the religious leaders hated Jesus, and they wanted to do everything they could to get rid of him. Let's put this guy to death. And so this scenario here is on Wednesday, and so they come to him, and the scripture says that they're testing him. And so they ask him three questions. The first one they ask him, uh, if you'll remember, is about taxes. Who do, should we pay taxes, right? And so um, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to set him in opposition to the Roman government. If we can get Jesus to say, no, don't pay your taxes, we're off the hook. We set him up as looking like a rebel, as a revolutionary, somebody who's against the government, and they'll take care of him, and we won't have to worry about it anymore. But Jesus does like he always does, and he answers the question perfectly, where they have nothing they can say, and they're like, well, that didn't work, right? And so, so they ask him a second question, and it's the Sadducees coming to him. They don't believe in the resurrection, so they come to Jesus, and they just make up some crazy thing. Jesus, let's, let me ask you this. If... The law says that if a, if a woman marries a man and they don't have kids, and I want you to imagine what, just let's trip him up. Let's see, well, we're going to get him here, right? They don't have kids. He dies. He's, she's supposed to marry somebody, the brother, right? And then if they don't have kids and he dies, and it goes on for seven, seven brothers, right, have died now, and then finally the woman dies. So they ask Jesus, so you tell us, Jesus, who is going to be married to this man in the resurrection? Just the most crazy scenario just trying to trip him up right and again if you read it in matthew 22 jesus answers them so perfectly that they 
look at themselves like, well, he got us there. So, so this whole time they're trying to set him up to, be, to kill him. They, first they set him up against the Roman government. Then they're trying to challenge his theology. Uh, and, and their whole goal in all of this, um, after the Roman government, was it that last question and then the one we're going to look at this morning, was that they, they want to set him up against Moses. That's their whole goal. Is Moses is the guy to these guys, okay? He is the one, if there's God, and then there's Moses right here underneath. He's the one that talks face-to-face with God. He's the one that brought them the laws, not once but twice. He's the one that, that led them out of Egypt. And so Moses is the one. And their whole goal is if we can set Jesus up to look like he is in opposition of Moses, all his popularity will go away, and we will prove him to be a heretic, and we'll be able to get, have him uh, killed and, and, and go back to the status quo, go back to doing what we're doing. So the second question doesn't work in that. And so they come to him with a third one, and this is where we pick it up in Matthew 22, verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard, and they, they probably enjoyed this, even though they were trying to, they had the same goal in mind, but when they heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And in Mark adds, with all your strength. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law of the prophets. Now, there's a couple of things about this. Their goal, again, is that he would say something. First, they send a lawyer in. Anybody know what a lawyer is? <laughs> okay, He's an expert on what? Law, right? He's an expert on the law. And so they send the guy that they think, listen, if anybody can trip him up, if anybody can, one, ask him a question and catch him, or if, or if maybe he can hear something that Jesus says that we can twist to make it look as if he's in opposition to Moses, we've got him where we want him. And so they send a lawyer in, and he asks this question, and so Jesus answers them with they, the most obvious to them, and they're like, what Jesus is quoting here when he says this, um, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself. He is quoting directly from what's called the Shema, okay? And what that is, is every Jewish, every, every devout Jewish, uh, from the time they were a kid, they have quote, uh, recited that prayer to themselves to remind themselves of what God has asked them to be. And, and so when Jesus says what the great commandment is, this is not any, not only is it not a shock, there's nothing they can say because he's quoting what Moses said. He, he, he turns the tables completely on them and says, well, in Deuteronomy it says this, basically is what he's saying. Leviticus says this. So he's taken straight out of Scripture, straight out of what their guy says, Moses, and says, this is what it says. And it's very familiar to him. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 10, um, there's, a, there's another story where a, a man, a, another lawyer, comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, what does the law say to you? And you remember what that guy said? Love the Lord your God. Well, he says, what it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, then go do that, right? Go do it. It's not that hard. Go do it, and you're going to live. So, so what Jesus is saying to him is not anything that's uh, foreign to him. It's not anything crazy. He is quoting the most obvious thing that, that they could hear. And so he completely, like, 
takes the rug out from under them. Later on, it says that, that they didn't ask him. It says they dared not ask him any other questions because they know he, they're just building his popularity even more is all they're doing. They're not helping their case. They're hurting their case. The second thing I want you to see here, he says that on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, if you will do these two things, you're going to do everything else. You'll take care of all the other. Don't worry about what the greatest commandments are. Just do this, and you don't have to worry about it. And you know what's crazy? These guys, over time, had, had taken their 613 letters that were used out of the Hebrew alphabet to, to uh, make up the Ten Commandments. And so I, I still don't just trying to think about it this week, why they would do it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But So they took those 600, to them, that meant that there had to be 613 other laws that they were going to have. So they, they made up all these other laws that, had to, that came out of the Ten Commandments based on the, the 613 letters out of the Hebrew alphabet that it took to write the Ten Commandments, right? And so they've got all these laws they're having to keep straight in their mind, and we've got to make sure we do this, make sure we do that, and all these different things. And Jesus says, look, if you will just love God, with everything you've got, and you will love people, you'll take care of everything else. The law, what the law was, all it was, it just dealt with our relationships with God and with people. The first four dealt with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship with others. That's all it is. And so Jesus is saying, if you'll just do these things, it'll take care of everything else. Not only that, but he tells the guy in Luke 10, he says that if you will do those things, you will live. So the guy says, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you'll live. You'll have eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I thought the only way to eternal life was through Jesus. But either Jesus is wrong, or he knows something that we don't know. What Jesus was trying to tell this guy was, yeah, if you do those things, you're going to live. But you know what he knew? He can't do those things. He's not going to. He can't love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's not going to be able to love his neighbor by, as himself. And so then Jesus goes in, and he tells a story about the, uh, the Good Samaritan. Everybody remembers this story. And it's a, it's a, um, there's a lot of, man, you could have a sermon series on the, the different lessons that you can get out of the Good Samaritan. One of the things that Jesus tells this guy is that, you know, you remember the scenario, there's a guy that, that is walking along a road, and he is beaten, robbed, stripped, and left for dead, right? And so the first person, Jesus says, there's a man that comes, he's, he's beaten, he's laying there on the side of the road, and the first person that comes along is a priest. Now you would think that of all the people that come along, this is the guy that can give the man hope. The guy that's laying there, that's hurting, that's almost dead. If there's anybody to come along that can give him some hope, it's the priest. No doubt the priest knows that God had commanded to love your neighbor as yourself, right? No doubt the priest, there's a, you know, there was a law that said if you come upon uh, your, your enemy's donkey in the ditch, then you need to help that donkey get out of the ditch, right? And then he says, how much more would you do it for, your for, your, for, your, for the enemy, for somebody, for a person, right? I mean, there's all kinds. Of, so this guy had to know that. This guy had to know that God in Micah says, through Micah, to, uh, to seek justice, to love mercy, right? To walk humbly with God. If anybody would know that, it's the priest, the, the, the cream of the crop among the religious leaders, right? He would know what God has called him 
to do. And yet, the priest comes along, and when he sees the guy, he walks to the other side of the road and keeps on going. Now, there's a lot, if you, if you do any studies on that, on that story, there are a lot of different theories on what the priest was thinking. There's, there's people that will tell you that he was, he was thinking about what if the robbers are still there, right? Um, you know, he didn't want to get killed. He didn't want to get beat up or, or mugged or whatever happened. There's people that will, that will tell you that he was thinking about uh, the fact that he's going to, to perform his religious duties in the, in the temple. He has to go to, he's going to work. And if he stops and helps this guy who he thinks may be dead, um, it's going to defile him and he can't go into the temple and do what he's supposed to do. But I can tell you, you might want to write this down, because I can tell you exactly what the guy was thinking. He wasn't thinking anything because he's not real, right? <laughs> See? Not a real guy. That wasn't the point of the story. Have you ever got, like, so enthralled in a, in a movie plot and in the characters? My wife does this. It makes me laugh. Um, she, we'll, get, we'll be watching a movie, and, and it ends, and you're so wrapped up in the characters and everything that's going on. And you get to the end, and then, and then the credits start rolling, and she's like, no, no, wait, whoa, whoa. She, like, starts getting all upset. I'm like, what? And she's, she's like, what happened next? You know, what did they name their kids? Did they live happily ever after? Did they get married? All this stuff. And I'm like, they went home, babe. It's over. <laughs> they went home to their, their real families. The director didn't write anything else. That's it. Like, these people aren't real, right? And that was the point. Jesus, was, the, the point was not, what is this guy thinking? The point was that he had an opportunity to obey what God had told him to do, and he walked to the other side of the road, and he kept on walking. The whole point was that, and, and, and this was the point of what Jesus was trying to tell this guy here was one of eternal life, is that, and it really revealed kind of what the fatal flaw in the law was, was that while the law could deal with all the stuff on the outside, right, it could deal with all the act. It could deal with with uh, making you look good and, ma and, and telling you all the expectations that God has for you. It couldn't do anything in here. It couldn't deal with the rebellious heart that men had and still have. It couldn't. It couldn't deal with the sin issue. It just couldn't deal with it. And so this priest who knew everything that God told him had asked him to do, he knew all the commands. He knew all this stuff. But it didn't, the law, while, it, while informing his mind and his brain of what God expected of him, it did nothing in here to actually motivate him and cause him to do it. Now listen, the problem with the law was not God. The problem in the law was us. We were the issue. We were and still are. The law has never been a bad thing. You can hear people talk about it now that we don't, you don't have to worry about the law anymore. You don't have to worry about it. Listen, those things, God has not changed his expectations. God hasn't changed his, what, he, what he wants out of us. Okay? That stuff hasn't changed. The difference is that he has provided an answer for the sin. He's provided a way that we can not only deal with the sin issue in our life through Jesus Christ, but he's given us a helper in the Holy Spirit to live out those things that he's called us to do. See? He's given us a helper in the Holy Spirit that allows us and helps us and teaches us and leads us in the ways of love so that we can love God the way he's called us to and so we can love people the way he's called us to. That's the blessing of the new covenant. That's why we're so blessed and so grateful that we get to live in this new covenant because it's not just a bunch of stuff on the outside that we're trying to keep, but there's work going on on the inside that want, makes us want to keep those things, see? That's what, that's what he was talking about here when he tells them later on. He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And that's what he's talking about there, is you got it all together on the outside, but there's nothing in here. You're dead inside. And that was the problem with the law. And that's why God said, I've got to come up with something better. And he did. And so this morning, we're going to look at, at, at what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But I want you to look at it not through the, law, not through the, through the eyes of the old law, of the old, of the old way of doing things where you had to try and muster up the ability and try and learn all this stuff and try and make it happen myself and you know, grind my teeth and clench my fists and I'm going to make this happen. But look at it through the eyes of the new covenant that you've been given a Savior in Jesus that comes inside and remakes us and makes us brand new people. And you've been given a helper in the, in the way, in, in the person of the Holy Spirit that wants to empower you to be able to do the things that God's calling us to do. Because we can look at this stuff and we can say, man, that's impossible. That's, and, and listen, I'm not telling you we're going to be perfect at it, but we can be a lot better than what they were. A lot better than what they were. And we'll deal with that here in a little bit. So let's look at what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me see where I am here. There we go. So the first one, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, I did want to point out that you notice each one of those, he, he, he reiterates with all. So he doesn't just say with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And listen, you can read a bunch of different people, and they're all going to tell you that the heart means something different, the soul means something different. I'm going to tell you what I think Jesus is saying, okay? So if you think I'm wrong, write it down. Give it to Brother Joe later. Don't tell me. I don't, okay? I don't want to know, okay? But this is what I think Jesus, the heart of what Jesus is saying here. Now, first of all, what he's saying is, Love the Lord your God with all of you. That's what he's saying. When he says your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, he's saying with all your being, everything that you are, love God with that. Give him everything, okay? But he breaks it down a little bit, and so I wanted to do that this morning. The First of all, the heart, I believe he's talking about the real you, um, who you are on the inside, who you are when it's quiet, right, when you're at home, uh, when you're alone with your thoughts and with your dreams, with your passions, with your desires. That's the person I think that Jesus is saying, first of all. He's saying, love me with that guy, with all that you are. And with the person that you are, when the cameras are not rolling, when you're not on stage, when you're not in front of a bunch of people, do you still love me? That's the person I want. And out of that starts everything. If that, per if that part of us isn't right, everything else isn't going to happen, okay? That's why uh, in Proverbs it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. All of our, all of the, our, the, our love for God with all our soul and our mind and our strength, our love for people, all flows out of this place right here. It all flows out of, out of our heart. And if that's not in line, then we're going to have issues. David said it like this. He said, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. What was he saying? He's saying that when, when, when no one's looking, when I'm home by myself, right, do I love God? And that's the first one right there. Then he says, with all your soul. Check my phone here, see where I am, guys. Oh, wow. It goes fast. Okay, so I'm going to go fast. All your soul, right? So you're, this is the, your, your emotions or your affections. So, so we love God with all our heart, and we love God with all our soul, our affections. 
Um, David said, my soul thirsts for you. And we've, this is a very familiar one. He says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. It's that place to where we can't do anything else but just something. I mean, have you ever had those moments when you're with God and all you can just say is God? You're in his presence, right? And you're like, God, I love you, right? I just, I just love you. Like there's nothing else. I, and, you know, um, or maybe you're, okay, let me say it like this. Maybe you're with your significant other. I remember the first time that, I, that, that uh, Tasha and I have been dating a few months, right? And um, the first time that I told her I loved her, right? Like I remember, like we'd been, we'd been together a few months, and man, I was just, I was in love, man. I was head over heels with her. And I hadn't said it yet because I didn't want to, you know, you don't, you, you know, you know. She hadn't said it yet, so I don't know what, what the response is going to be, right? But, but there was this one, one evening we're together, and, and man, I just, it was the time, right? It was, this is the time. She's going to know how I feel. And I just loved her so much, and still do. And I remember looking at her and just saying, Tasha, I love you. And she looked me back in the eye, and she says, thank you. Like, maybe she didn't hear what I said. Maybe I, maybe I got her on the bad ear, right? Seinfeld reference there. <laughs> Thank you. I'm saying, well, you're welcome. I'm glad, you know. <laughs> it worked out. Later, later on, we'd been married a few years, and uh, <laughs> Lord, Lord bless my wife. So what's his, how do you say his name? Yeah, she's the only woman to say it now. Chow Young Fat. Does anybody know who this guy is? Okay. Apparently, he's a very good-looking guy. Ah. He's on, this is the king and I. We were watching the king and I, and he comes on the screen, and my wife's like, oh, he's pretty. And I'm like, I look at her, and she says, but I chose you, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh. As if, as if he was the other option, right? <laughs> it was between me and him, and she picked, picked me. I can assure you, if you tell God I love you, he's not just going to say thank you, right? God loves us so much, man. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us because he wants that relationship with us. And what he's, what he's asking from us is the same. I want you guys to love me like that, man. I want you to have those moments when you're in worship and all you can say is, God, I love you. I want to be with you. Where we, set, we, 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 we don't have to um, uh, set aside a specific time necessarily every day to make sure that we get our prayer in, but that it's just a part of who we are, that we want to spend time with God. We want to just be with him, man. That's what he's after, to love me with all of your affections, all of your soul. And then he says, love me with all of your mind. Now, there's some that will tell you this, this thought. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. If you've ever made a decision that you're going to do something, you've ever, you ever said, you know what, I'm going uh, to eat better, I'm going to exercise more, I'm going to do whatever. What, what do we always say? I've made up my mind, right? And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think he's talking about with all of your will that you make a commitment that you're going to love God, regardless of what's happening, regardless if I understand any, everything, regardless if things are going good for me or if things are going bad, I have made a decision that I am going to love God, regardless. We hear, I heard that yesterday um, here at the memorial service for June. Um, you hear that over and over when you, talk, when you talk about all of these, really. You hear about her affection for God, how much she loved him. But Joe was telling a story about it, going and visiting her in the hospital when, when she wasn't doing very well and dealing with pneumonia. And it kind of looked like it, you know, things weren't going to end well at that moment. And so he goes in, and uh, she, said, she said she took her uh, oxygen mask up and started, started singing, right? Like, it doesn't matter what it looks like, she's, 
That's, that, that is what it's, that's what he's talking about here. It doesn't matter if I feel good. It doesn't matter if things look bleak. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to love God. I was able to spend some time with uh, Sam Peterson this past week. I went and visited him in the, in his, in the rehab. He's going through um, his second round of chemo for brain cancer. And, he, you, know, you know, Sam, if you know Sam, he's always smiling, always smiling, man. And so I go in, and he's smiling, sure enough. And uh, we talk for a little bit, and uh, he says to me, he says, I don't understand everything, but I'm trusting God. And I thought, man. And he even said, then he said, I really don't have that much to complain about. And I'm like, <laughs> I can think of some things, right? But Sam's like, listen, I've made a decision. I don't like everything that's happening to me. I don't like what I'm going through. But I'm committed to trusting Jesus, and I'm committed to loving God. And whatever happens, that is not going to change. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And then fourth, with all your strength, that is all your actions, your service, right? Your, your, your giving of yourselves. And so it's an it's a honest, affectionate, willful, serving love is what Jesus is after. That's what he's asking for. And out of that, again, this is the great commandment. Out of this flows loving your neighbor as yourself. If we don't have this in line, the other part's not going to happen, okay? Uh, and, they work, and they really, they work hand in hand. Joe's talked about this before, but they work hand in hand. You've got to have both. You, Jesus, uh, I think it's in, in uh, 1 John. He says, if you, if you can't love your brother who you can see, how are you going to love God who you can't see? So they work together, right? But this one is the first one. And if you don't have this in line, you can do all the superficial stuff to make you look like you like people. But, but if that's not in line, it's never going to happen, man. So then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, uh-oh, somebody said, ooh, I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, so what I think Jesus is telling us here, first of all, there's an implication in the love your neighbor as yourself. Do you hear what that is? What's the implication there? You're going to what? Anybody? Love yourself. You are going to love yourself, Right? Everybody in this room, you're here in your stomach already, I know. Everybody's here, and the, 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 the clock is ticking on what time it is to eat. And everyone in here is going to go eat when church is over. Why? Because I'm, I'm hungry, and I'm going to take care of myself, right? Everyone in here has this desire to, to sleep in a, in a comfortable bed and to wear clothes that they like and that are comfortable. Everybody in here has a desire to eat good food and to have good friends and to have good relationships and good kids. Everybody in here has those desires. There's not a person here that doesn't desire those things and doesn't care about themselves and doesn't make, do what they can within their power to make sure those things happen for themselves, right? Every one of us do. And so what Jesus is saying is that, that you are going to love yourself. That's going to happen. The problem is, Paul describes in 2 Timothy what happens in the last days. He says that people will love only themselves and their money. The problem is not when we love us, because that is a given, and it's going to happen. It's part of the human nature, and, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's good that you want to wear clothes, folks, okay? That's a good thing. Thank you for doing that for us today. That's a good thing. What Jesus is saying is, is if, if you love only yourself, there's a problem. And if you read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, there is a digression that takes place when a person becomes when, when a person loves only themselves, they become prideful, they become boastful, they become filled with hatred, they, they take advantage of people, they become greedy. There's just a, a, a digression that takes place in the heart of a person who loves only themselves. It's poisonous 
It's venomous. And what Jesus is telling us here when he says to love your neighbor as yourself is he is offering an antivenom. He is offering an antidote where he says, listen, and there it is. All right, five more minutes, okay, maybe. Um, he's offering an antidote. He's saying, listen, the poison is self-love. If you only love you, it's going to kill you. It'll destroy your relationships. It'll destroy your peace. It'll destroy your love. It'll destroy your joy. It'll destroy everything that means anything to you. Self-love, if that's all you've got, it will destroy all that stuff. So Jesus says, if you don't want that to happen, love people the same way you love yourself. What does that mean? Well, it means you like to eat, don't you? Make sure somebody else gets to eat. Want that for others as much as you want it for yourself. You want to have nice clothes, right? Or at least some clothes. Well, what is he saying? Make sure that you, if you see somebody else that needs clothes, that you want that for them as much as you want it for yourself. Make sure that if you see someone else that needs a place to sleep, that you want it and do what you can for them to make that happen for them as much as you want it for yourself. Now, I know, I know, that's a big ask. Jesus said at one point that the poor you will have with you, what? Always. In other words, that's never going to stop. The needs are never going to stop. So is Jesus asking us then to spend every moment of our lives looking for people who are in need so that I can meet their needs and neglect myself? Is that what he's asking us to do? Because you can take this scripture to the, to the extreme there and say, well, then I guess Jesus didn't want me to have anything because he wants me to love everybody with, you know, like I love myself. So I guess now I need to be going out and, and every day I need to be looking for people that are hungry and feeding them and looking for people that, that, that need clothes or need house or whatever it is. I need to be spending my whole, every waking hour, if I'm going to do what Jesus is asking me to do, making sure that other people's needs are met, just like I'm worried about me and my needs being met. And I don't think that's what Jesus is telling us. Those, listen, those things are good. We're going to do some of that through Rooted. We're going to be doing some things where we get out into our community as a small group. You're going to get to go out and, and love on people that have needs and love on people that, that, uh, that, are, that are less fortunate, maybe. Um, all these things, those things are good, okay? And I'm not saying that, that's, that Jesus doesn't want us to do them, but I don't think that's what Jesus is describing here. I think in, in the Good Samaritan, he gives us a good picture of what he really is expecting out of us. He says that, that the, you know, the guy was beaten and robbed and left for dead, and the priest comes along and leaves him there. A uh, Levite comes along and leaves him there. And it says then a, a, a Samaritan comes along. And he says and as, as he was on his journey, he sees a man there that is hurting. And this is the point I think Jesus was making, is it's not just going out and seeking a bunch of needs. It's as you are living your life. This guy was just walking along the street, man. And as he's doing what, he's, what he just probably does all the time, he sees somebody that has a need, and he has the ability to meet the need. So he says, I'll meet this need. What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? It means to live your life. It means to go out, go to work, go to the grocery store, spend time with your family, do all those things. And in the course of those things, when you see somebody that has a need that you have the ability to meet, meet that need. It's simple. It's not that hard. That's what he's asking us to do. But it can be really hard if we're not conditioned to start looking for those things. So I wanted to say, close with three things real quick that I think Jesus is asking us to do that can be really hard for us. The first one is, that's the wrong way, is that we have to be willing to be interrupted. How many of you guys are busy? Busy. 
Some are like, ah, you don't know, Jay. You have no idea, right? You remember that song? Uh, it's an old. Uh, it's probably a current Alabama song, but it's still old nonetheless. I don't think they make music. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I work and work until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Isn't that us, man? We are always in a hurry. Always have somewhere to be. Always have somebody to see. Always have something to do, right? And we get so laser-focused on our schedule and so laser-focused on getting things accomplished in our tasks and getting things done that we want to get. Not even, we, sometimes we don't have to get them done. We just want to get them done. That's me. And we get so focused on that stuff that we refuse to allow ourselves to break schedule. We don't want to get off task. And we don't see needs that are around us that we could be meeting. The Samaritan was on a journey. And he saw a need. And he said, I'm going to stop where I'm going, stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to help somebody. I remember one time years ago, we were leading a small group at Josh and Heather's house. And um, we, we lived in Lindale, so we'd drive to Tyler. And uh, we were doing, you know, what we do. We cut it. We were going to be right on time, right? Made no margin for error. So we leave the house. We, if it takes 30 minutes to get there, we're going to leave. And give us one minute just in case something happens or have to speed, you know, and get there on time. But we're going to be there on time, right? And so we're driving along 69, and we see somebody on the side of the road right around Swan uh, working on their bike. Their, their, their bike, I don't know if it had a flat or chain was off or broke or whatever, I don't know. But anyway, so we keep, don't even think about it, right? Just keep on going. We get to Josh and Heather's house, and um, we're there probably 30 or 45 minutes, and Joe and Becky are coming to small group that night. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Joe and Becky are cyclists. And so about 45 minutes into, you know, we're eating and everything and waiting. Like, man, I'm surely he's on his way. And because he hadn't gotten there yet. I'm like, this is weird. And then I start thinking, I hope <laughs> that that was not him <laughs> on the side of the road, right? And here he comes in, and he's got a cycling outfit on. I'm like, oh, this is not good, man. Right? And I'm like, Joe, was that, uh, was that you on the side of the road? He's like, yeah, thanks for stopping. <laughs> <laughs> he was kidding, I think, but maybe not. But how often do we do that, right? I mean, I was embarrassed enough that it was my pastor that I didn't stop and help. But how often do we do that, that we're just in a hurry, man? We got to be somewhere. We've got to get to where we're going. We've got to get done what we have to get done. And we see somebody in need, but we don't have time to stop. I, could, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know anything about bicycles, but I could have done something. Maybe give him a ride. Who knows? Give him a glass of water. I don't know. But we could do something, right? How often do we do that in our lives where we're just not willing to stop what we're doing in order to help somebody else? That's what Jesus is talking about here. Be willing to be interrupted. Second thing is he says, be willing to be inconvenienced. This guy, look what, look what it says here. So he takes him to an inn, gets him all bandaged up, takes care of him, takes him to an inn, and it says, and on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. So he spent the night with the guy. He didn't just take him and, 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 and uh, brush him off on somebody else. He stayed overnight to make sure that the guy pulled through, to make sure that he was okay so that he could be on his way. And then he says, if, you, if there's any other cost, I'll come back through here in a little while. And when I do, let me know, and I'll take care of that too. Just make sure the man's taken care of. I remember whenever Tasha and I, we here, I don't know, a couple, two or three months ago, we were going to uh, 
to a, a Texas Ranger game, and it was us and um, uh, one of the salesmen from my work, and we were, ta- we, were meeting some, we were taking some customers to a game. And so we are meeting them up there at Hard Life, I know. Um, and so we're meeting them at the game, and we get into Will's Point. I'm, we're in my car, and we have a blowout. And we hear it pop, like, oh, man, this is not good. And we're, again, you know, crunched for time as usual, running, on, running just cutting it close. And uh, I'm like, this is not good. And I get it. So I get out, and I'm going to, to the back of the car to get the jack and get the, the, the spare. And I remember a few weeks before that that I had taken the jack out of the car. And I'm like, man, I hope that I put this jack back in. And sure enough, I had not put the jack back in the car. So I open it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So we call um, whatever it's called, roadside service, right? And it's going to be at least an hour. We're in the middle of Will's Point. There's nothing out there. So it's going to be at least an hour before he gets there to us. The guys are at the game waiting on us. I'm like, man, this isn't good. Well, about 30 minutes in, we're there waiting, and a guy pulls up in front of us there, and he's like, hey, you got to need some help. I'm like, man, I just need it. If you got a jack, I am good, buddy. Just give me a jack. He goes, oh, yeah. So he reaches in the back of his truck, and he gets his jack out. He walks over to the car, and he says, back up, man, I got it. And he, he does everything for me. I don't have to get dirty. I was so happy. I was thinking I'm going to get to the game be nasty. He does everything, man. He jacks it up, puts our spare on, um, gets, gets, you know, gets everything done. I thank him. You know, He's got his wife and kid in the truck. He's, he's, this guy's on his way to who knows where. But he stopped to help somebody. It was simple. I could have done it myself, but he didn't let me. He didn't mind being inconvenienced, being stopped to help somebody else. We get on into uh, Forney, and the manager of the place, they're about to close. We need a new tire. I'm not driving, you know, 45, 50 miles an hour on a donut all the way to Dallas and then back home. So we stop, and we go in to get a new tire. He's like, man, we're fixing to close. All my techs are gone. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, you can leave it here till tomorrow. I'm like, ah, I'm not going to be here tomorrow, buddy. So... He says, well, I'll tell you what. I told him what was going on. He said, man, I'll do it for you. I'll change it myself. This guy's in nice clothes. He's not, he don't go out in that shop and mess with nothing, right? But he goes out there. He puts our tire on for us, does it himself, gets everything, gets us back on the road. What's my point? Is sometimes it takes us just being willing to be inconvenienced, man. It's not just letting our schedule be interrupted, but being willing to be inconvenienced, being willing to be uncomfortable, to make sure somebody else is comfortable. That's what Jesus is asking. And then the third one is have something to give. That's really what he wants. Joe, Joe has talked about this here a while back, here, and he's mentioned it several times over the past few months, is, is build some margins in our lives, right? Tuck a 20 in your wallet to where when you come across somebody with a need, or maybe a 10, maybe a 5, just something, to where when you come across somebody with a need, you're able to help out with the need. I know sometimes we're strapped. I know sometimes we don't have extra uh, discretionary income. I get all that. I don't either. But if you'll build that into your life, I promise you needs will come up. Needs will present themselves, and you can go and help be a part of solving somebody's need, right? It's that simple, man. Now, what if we're not doing this perfectly? Because we can listen to all this stuff, and I don't know about you, but as I was preparing for it, I'm like, well, I know I don't do that all the time. I know I miss this, I miss that. Listen, there's no condemnation to those who belong in Christ Jesus. God's expectation is not that you're perfect, Okay? His expectation is that you're growing, that you're learning, that you're getting better, that your love is maturing, that tomorrow you love a little bit better than what you do today. That's what he's asking. First John says this, and I love this verse. He says, For we know how much God loves us and have put us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And listen to this part. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. 
Listen, guys, it's a process. That's what he's saying. It's a process. As you know God, and as you spend more and more time with God, you'll love him better, and you'll love people better. It's really simple. So you say today, I'm not doing it as well as I'd like. That's okay. None of us are. But we got Jesus that takes care of the sin part of us, and we got the Holy Spirit that's just, just constantly filling us with God's love and teaching us how to love better than what we do today. So don't beat yourself up over it. Just tomorrow morning when you get up, say, I'm going to love a little bit better today than what I did yesterday. And we do that every day. Before long, man, you're loving people the way God's called us to love them, okay? That's all I got. So um, obviously we're going to have communion this morning. Uh, if you, you don't have to be a member here to fully participate uh, in this, Jesus set this table for us, and everyone's welcome here. And um, so um, one of the things we, we're talking about the new covenant. One of the uh, um, one of the things about the new covenant is that Jesus gave us a couple of um, rituals, a couple of um, things that we physically do um, to, um, to demonstrate uh, the new covenant. And one of them is communion. The other one is baptism. Um, and <clears throat> there's some real good teaching uh, on communion uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians uh, because they got some problems. Um, on the outside, the Corinthian church looked like the ideal church. It, they were blowing and going. They were flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. They were, you know, they had it going on. And, um, and they had some real problems. And problems was uh, a heart problem. Um, so you can have the outside all looking great. Everybody knows this. And your heart be far from Him. And um, when Jesus instituted this, He said, this is the way I want you to remember Him. Remember me. He didn't say, you know, once a year, y'all give each other a bunch of gifts and put some lights on a tree and remember me that way. Um, he didn't say, you know, hide some Easter eggs and remember me that way. Uh, he said, do it this way, at a table. Not at an altar, but at a table. This talks about our relationship with Him and our relationship with each other as well. Both of those things, as Jay is saying, those two things work together. Those, those two things are what keep us honest and what keep, a, keep, us, keep our feet on the paths of righteousness. So when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and I, and I just want to read this um, and then comment on it for a second, and then we'll, we'll have communion. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, uh, in verse 20, 23 he says for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you some translations say which is broken for you um, do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he goes on and he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. Now, those seem like really hard words, but all he's doing is saying this is serious, serious stuff. This is, even though we do this once a month, I never want it to be routine. I never want it to be something that we just kind of do and kind of go on about our business, but this is full stop. This is full stop. This is a, a point that you come to in your life when you're doing something that Jesus said to do and he's given us instruction about it. So when he says in an unworthy manner, first of all, he's not saying these things because he wants you to not come. So this is not something like if, if, if anybody comes and they're here and they're saying, oh, well, you know, I'm unworthy. I shouldn't go, you know, I shouldn't take communion. That's not the point. The point is, get it right. Take it seriously. Get it right and let this be something that is meaningful and, and not uh, hypocritical. Um, so when, when he's talking about it, he's talking about um, that communion is a, a remembrance of the death of the Lord. It's, that's what this is. This table is a way for us to remember that he died for us. In uh, John chapter 6, um, Jesus is talking to them, and that's fairly early in, the, in, his, in his ministry. And he's talking to them, and he's teaching them. And he says something really weird that you, only you can only understand from this table. He says, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. And he who doesn't eat my flesh and drink my blood has no part in me. And you might remember at that point, a bunch of people stopped following him. They're just like, that's crazy. And he wasn't, what he was saying to them was not to put them off, but he was talking about the deep spiritual truth of this meal, of this table. And he said, I am the bread of life. The only way that you live, the only way that you have life is because I died. You live because I died. So when you come to this table, he says, remember, as you break this bread, remember that my body was torn asunder, was broken like this. And he says, when you drink this cup, remember the blood that was poured out for you. This is serious business. And he doesn't want us to deal lightly with our sin. He wants us to come to this table confessing our sin, saying the same thing about our sin that he says about our sin. Not giving it a nice name, not dressing it up, but just come to him honestly. Honestly. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? It's a, it's a no-brainer. We all know that. But do we take our sin seriously? If we're coming to this table and if we're part of the new covenant, we can't do it the way that the old covenant did it. We can't hold our, ourselves far away from him. We have to bring our whole self. 
We have to bring our whole mind and our whole body and, our, and, and the weight of the sin that so easily entangles us. And we come to this table and we say, forgive me, Lord. Your perfect sacrifice. I don't deserve this. But I take it so seriously. It's the most serious thing in my life is that my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, died so that I might live. And I celebrate that when I come to this table. So let's just pause for a second and uh, let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Might not take but just a split second. You might know exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to convict you of, what the Holy Spirit wants to get right in your life, that the, the, the thing that is blocking your relationship right now with Him. Search us and try us, Lord. Know our every anxious thought. We just want to be an open book before you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Confess your sin to the Lord. Say it. Say it to Him. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for not listening before. Lord, forgive us for, for having long accounts with you. Forgive us for letting things ride. Forgive us, Lord, for turning a deaf ear to your spirit when you have tried to convict us. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not taking our sins seriously. Forgive us for not taking your blood and your, and your uh, sacrifice seriously, Lord. And now hear the word of the Lord to you. My child, you are forgiven. I have removed your sin. I'm not storing it up, waiting to, to, to surprise you with it. You are forgiven. I pronounce you not guilty. You are free. I have set you free. I'm setting you free. Now walk with me. Listen to me. Obey me. Follow me. Thank you, Lord. And then there's the other part of it. We love God. We're right with God. Now, if you've done all of that, you are right with God. You are perfect. Your heart and your soul are clean. He's not after you. He loves you. You have just removed that stumbling block that's between you and him. But the second part of that is that we have to extend that to others as well. Coming to this table in an unworthy manner to the, to the Corinthians were the fact that there was divisions. They were, they were divided. They were a divided people. That's an unworthy manner. So the Lord says, I have forgiven you in the same way you forgive others. So let's, again, let's just let the Holy Spirit convict us of that. Let him speak to us.
you say, I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. I forgive the debt. I don't hold out for pain or shame or anything against anyone. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, as a follow-up to that, don't be surprised if you have an opportunity to actually talk to whoever you're forgiving right now at some point this coming week because God often does that. He, he, uh, he lets us put uh, you know, feet to our faith and gives us an opportunity to actually practice what we have just said to him and said to ourselves and done in our hearts. Amen. Can I have the um, elders join me? Um, this morning, we, uh, we usually have enough individual cups for everybody to have um, an individual cup, but this morning, um, we're a little short on our individual cups. So um, if they run out, we, ha we do have common cups, extra common cups that we will have ready to go. come from the sides and then uh, you're free to go um, when you have uh, received communion. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this sacrifice. Thank you. We remember Jesus Christ today. We remember his death, Lord. Uh, even in light of the funeral yesterday, Lord, of our precious sister uh, June, Lord, um, and, and looking death in the face as we do so often, Lord, we thank you that you conquered sin and death the two big things that we were powerless against you have conquered it by your death on the cross and your resurrection we thank you for that lord and i thank you for making us one lord as the body of christ again as we gathered yesterday and that uh, for that funeral lord i just sensed just the love of god in the midst of his people once again and how sweet that is it's, and, and how powerful that is and how life-changing that is, transforming that is. And it was all because we gathered together to, to, um, uh, to celebrate the life of a sister in the Lord that loved you, Lord. Make us one, Lord. Only you can do that. And we remember you at this table as we come. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can come.